Okay. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, open it up to John chapter 10. We are continuing our series, not in the Her community. We good now, Rick? (laughs) Okay. Continuing our series on the seasons. And we've gone through four seasons in summer. You know, California really doesn't have four seasons. We kind of have two. We kind of have, you know, summer, and then we kind of have winter. We breeze through spring. We breeze through fall. And it's been kind of muggy lately. It's kind of like been terrible. Um, It's kind of like Florida or something, right? Just kind of overcast. Anyway, what we've been is looking at how our lives actually mimic some of the seasons and that there are events that happen in our lives that actually are very similar to the things that happen in the seasons. We talked about summer being a time of celebration, how we need to have a time where we celebrate, a time where we can relax, a time where we can laugh, a time where we can enjoy life. We are created to enjoy life. It is something that God desires for us. And so there should be seasons in our lives where we enjoy those things. I can remember when the children were born, there was this exhilaration, being so excited. I I can remember the event of their birth and being so thrilled. I have a child. Well, actually, we had two at the beginning. I I have twins. We have boys. And it was so exciting. And then we talked about how fall is a season of change. And that we need to be able to look at the change and actually see the beauty in it, even though it's difficult. And so I rejoice that we had twins, but then they came home with us and things changed. Sleep? What is sleep? There is no such thing as sleep. And the change was dramatic, but to this day, I wish I would have appreciated it more. It went by so quick. I I wish I would have enjoyed that time. I wish I could have seen the beauty in having them when they were that small. And so we need to be able to recognize change is going to happen and can we see the beauty in the change that life brings because it's going to come. And instead of resisting it, instead of pushing against it, Can you see that sometimes the change is necessary? And what change does is doesn't just change our circumstances, but maybe it actually is there to change us. And then last week we talked about winter and we talked about how there is a time where where all the, the plants go dormant, where the bears hibernate. There has to be a time of rest. And the rest that we looked at is where we get to actually trust God. That instead of worrying about everything, we can actually say, God loves me, God cares for me, and I can entrust myself to Him to care for my inadequacies. And anyone been there where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm my worst problem. What do I have to do? I can actually trust God of what He's done to deal with with my insufficiencies through Christ, and that God is wanting to bring restoration, but I have to be willing to rest in His work instead of just trying to figure it out all the time. And today we're going to be closing with spring. And as we talk about spring, the idea is is actually... Life, it's waking up out of that sleep, coming out of that dormant state and actually being alive. And so if you're in John chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 18. And as Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, it's real important that we keep the idea and the context in mind so that we know who he's talking to, what he's talking about as these things are being said. So verse 1, it says, Very truly I say to you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, 
and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I think it's interesting that Jesus wasn't trying to make things so that the Pharisees couldn't understand. He's actually speaking to them so that they would understand. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. The gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees that he is the shepherd. And he gives a contrast that there is the hired hand who, who doesn't care for the sheep. There is the uh, people who were before him who were like these hired hands who whose purpose was to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's talking to the Pharisees and he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about their role in the people's lives, how they used people for their own gain, how they had this religious status. And this status that they owned wasn't because they cared about the people, it's because they wanted the status. They didn't care about the sheep, but he does. How do we know that you care about the sheep? Because I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. And we see Jesus says that the, the thief, those who are there for themselves, have come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so there is a contrast here that Jesus is presenting. There is a life that he wants us to live, a life that is filled with abundance, a life that is full. But then there is the deception, the thief who, who's trying to take that life, who is destroying us, who is keeping those sheep from living that life, who is there only for themselves. And so this life that Jesus wants to give, what is it? Because this is the life we want to talk about. This is the life we want to find. This is what we, we appreciate when we go through our, our terrible, difficult, freezing 60 degree winters here in California. You know, and, and everything's dormant, you know, unless you get the rye seed grass and then it can stay green, but not anymore because there's a water shortage. So everyone's grass is brown, have you noticed? Yeah, it's kind of depressing. But after the winter's dormant, then comes the spring showers, then comes the refreshing, and then comes the flowers again, the grass turns green, and we see life awaken. Well, what is the life that is supposed to awaken in us? What is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about? And we get some hints of what this life is throughout the Gospels, throughout the Scripture. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In Him, Jesus, 
was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So in Jesus himself is this life, and it's the light of all mankind. This is what awakens us to the reality of God. John tells us later in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And he's speaking of Jesus. He is the life. We've seen him. We've handled him. This is the eternal life. And again, it's not duration. It's not a life that goes on forever. It's a life that exists everywhere. It is that life that Jesus is. And so now when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to the full, He's speaking of the life that he himself holds. The life that is in him. The life that he only can give. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this life is hid in Christ himself. But what happens is there is a, a shadow of life. There is the, the thief. There is the, the hireling. There is the, the religious sect that imitates life, that pretends to be the same thing, that acts as if this is what life is all about. This is what God is all about. And that can take us down a place of frustration. It can take us to a place of bondage. It can take us to a place where it actually sucks the life out of us. Last week I talked about how in winter, if the trees don't go dormant, if you were to put sun lamps on the trees to try and keep them flourishing, you could keep the leaves green, you could fool them, but what would happen is then it would suck up all the energy so that they would not be strong enough and they would stop later on being able to produce either fruit or flowers or to continue to grow. They would actually become sick and wither and die because it's artificial. It's not the genuine way that they're supposed to grow. And the same thing's true with this life. There is a life that is to be had, but then there's the shadow life. There is the deception life. There is this religious life that mimics the genuine life. There were the Pharisees and all their legalism that were trying to represent God, but were failing to do it. And Jesus says they were thieves. What were they stealing? They were stealing their life. They were destroying them. What were they destroying? They were destroying their relationship with God. What were they killing? They were killing that, taking that life from them that God wants to give. And so Jesus would blast them and say, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. This is where people were to come and connect to God and you have stopped that. And as we hear this, a lot of times we think, oh, yes, those Pharisees, those religious people, they they were just terrible. But we need to recognize this boundary and see the difference so that we can understand and appreciate the real. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I used to do painting. I was a house painter. My brother and a friend of ours, we had our own business and we'd paint, well, we did commercial and residential. And I remember one time we were in Baldwin Park and we were painting a residence and we were painting this man's house and it was about lunchtime and we were thinking, where are we going to go for lunch? And we thought, well, there's a great Mexican food place down the street. And so we were talking about, yeah, let's go get this Mexican food. And then the guy, just this white guy, okay, I don't know else to say it. He, he's a white guy. He, he, he said, I know a great place 
You go, really? You live here? Okay, you're, you're in this neighborhood. Where's the great Mexican food place to eat? He goes, this place is incredible. They've got everything in the menu. It is so good. And we're just waiting because we're hungry for Mexican food. Now our appetites are increased. And he goes, yes, it's just down the corner here. It's a place. It's called Taco Bell. And we were like, oh, okay. Yeah, Taco Bell. Authentic Mexican food. You see, if you don't know the genuine, you will settle for something less. Some people think SpaghettiOs is pasta. It's less. It's not the real thing. And so we need to understand that there is a warning to settle for less. There is a warning to live a shadow of the life we are called to live. There is a warning to us to be careful to enter in to the gate through the shepherd. And so in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 5, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It it means a show. It means acting. It, It means a false impression. A lot of times I I think we can think hypocrisy is being deceitful. And it's definitely deceiving, but not every hypocrite is intending to be deceitful. In fact, many times they're just acting the way they think they are supposed to be acting. And so when Jesus warns them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's telling them, beware of living a life that is not really life. It is just pretending to be life. And I want to share with you my journey. I I want to share a little bit with you my story and, and how this has become important to me. And I hope that it can be useful to you. I hope that if you're in a similar situation that you can identify with where I was and and to what I had to do to, to see the difference between this shadow, fragmented, hypocritical life and the full life that God wants all of us to live. See, about 10 years ago, I was working at a church, and and this is my story. This isn't condemning anyone else, and I'm not bringing anyone else into this story. This is about me. About 10 years ago, I was working at a church, and I was there all the time. I was there six, seven days a week. I had devotions every morning. Monday through Friday, I'd have a time of devotions. There was continual times of prayer. I I was leading at the time a Bible study on Friday or Sunday night. It it varied and it changed. 
I was doing the music, leading worship on, on midweeks and then in the morning and then in Sunday evenings. I would have worship practice and a devotion on Thursday nights. And I was there constantly. Plus, I was doing other things. If we would go to Mississippi or if we would go and do another event at a street or something, I would help plan on those events. I was thoroughly involved and this is what I wanted to do. And so this is what I was consumed with doing. And pretty soon my life was all about the things that I were doing because they were good things. There was nothing wrong with any of the things that I was doing. But you see, what had happened to me is that I started looking to the things that I was doing and it was detached from the person who I was doing them for. And pretty soon it all became, are you doing these things? And I would encourage people to get involved and do things. Why? Because I'm doing things. You should be doing things too. They're good things. Why shouldn't we do these things? And as I was doing and doing and doing, I went to a conference, a worship conference. It was at Saddleback Church. And I remember at one of the devotions, Buddy Owens came up and he spoke and he spoke on Joshua chapter 3. And as he was going through that devotion, it was God's voice reaching into my soul. And I remember thinking, this hasn't happened in a long time where I've actually felt like God was speaking to me. I mean, I've read the scriptures and I've been, you know, moved. I understand what they say, but now it seems like God is actually telling me. And when he spoke about Joshua going to the river and stepping into the river, not waiting for it to part, but actually stepping in. And then God moved. God says, I need you to step in. And my response was, are you kidding? Don't you know what I'm doing? I'm up to here already. I can't do anymore. But then I had an awakening of all that you're doing, all that you're working, all that you just strive to make happen. What is it doing? How is it benefiting the people around you or you? Is it what I have for you to do or is it you just doing? I want you to step into the water because I have something more for you to do. And it was haunting me. It was just grinding in my soul. You have to do something. And what it was doing is awakening in me that you have been busy. You have been so busy but it's routine. You're doing a job. You're a hireling. You've been hired to do this. You are not giving your life. You're giving your time. And there's a difference. And it wouldn't go away. It was a hound haunting and hounding at my heels, just persisting in me. And finally I said, okay, I'm going to step out and to do more because I'm not satisfied. And so I started reading some things and I started going to some places of worship and I started understanding that, you know, there is more that God wants to do in my life and there are people that God wants me to reach and I am not reaching any of them. I stayed in a building 70 to 80 hours a week and barely ventured out except to go get lunch and then come back and to do any building or, or to do the things that I was doing. And I felt like, how am I reaching the world in this building? Which was a problem for me because that's why I was so resistant to buildings. That's why I still won't go in an office. I'll go to a Starbucks I'll go to my house and I'll stay there, but I don't want another cubicle. I don't want to get stuck because God was pushing me out to actually care about the sheep, the people, 
And to do that, I had to get out of the building. I had to get out of my rut. I had to move away. And what was happening to me was God was calling me to something that was more costly. Not just costing my time, but actually costing me my devotion, costing me my concern, wanting me to step into the lives of other people, people who actually were hurting and needed more help. Now, I did counseling, I did things like that, but it was very structured. And again, for me, I was living a religious life, doing all the right things, but I was just doing things. And they were separated in devotion and heart to God. And God called me on it. And when he pushed me into more, I didn't want to go because I felt overwhelmed. But as I started stepping into it, pretty soon I started wanting more. And it was like tasting real Mexican food for the first time. It was like going and having grandma's pasta. Going to Mexico and getting those El Pastor tacos on the rotisserie. It's like, this is right. This is good. And all of a sudden, my soul started to come alive. It started to come out of the slumber. And all of a sudden there was a revitalization of my life and my relationship with God. And maybe you are in a place where you know who Jesus is. I knew who Jesus was. You know the things that are right and the things that are wrong. But there seems to be just this labor to to live this Christian life. And I want to challenge you. Maybe what is happening is you are going through the motions and you are looking like what you think you're supposed to look like. You are living a hypocritical life, unbeknownst to you. You're not trying to deceive anyone. You're just deceiving yourself. I'm doing this, but there's no satisfaction. I'm doing this, but there's no life, but I know I'm supposed to do it, so I'll just keep on doing it. And God is saying, no, I want you to take another step. Well, what is that step? What am I supposed to do? Later on in Matthew chapter 16 again, verse 21. Jesus is going to talk about his death at the cross. And he says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside, I love this, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. It is my purpose to lay down my life for the sheep. This is why I'm here. Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. That's not what I have in mind for you. See, Peter had something else totally in his head of what this was supposed to look like. Jesus, you are not going to the cross. You are going to 
establish a kingdom. You are going to reign and I'm right there with you. I'm going to be with you, Jesus. Peter had a life that he had figured all out connected to Jesus and it was wrong. And Jesus had to rebuke him. Why? Because you are thinking just of what human concerns are. You're not thinking of what God cares about. You're just thinking about what you care about. If you want to be my disciple, you need to carry a cross and you need to lay down your life because whoever wants to find their life will lose it and whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. And so many of us And I can't speak for you, but I have to tell you again where I was. A person in church, a person serving, a person on staff, a person doing all the right things was living for an image of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, but was not giving my life to people and to the things that God cared about. I was giving my life to an image of what I thought it meant to look like to be a Christian. And not all the things were bad, but there is a big difference. You see, Peter was following Jesus, but he had the wrong end game. It was for his benefit. And so many times my life is just moving for my benefit. As if I am here just to satisfy myself. As if I am here to satisfy my needs. If I am here to get that new car. If I am here to get that other house. If I am here to get that better job. If I am here to satisfy all these things. And Jesus is saying, if you want your life, you need to lose it. And if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find Life, not the shadow of it, but the real thing. I took a step 10 years ago, or, or it changed maybe eight years ago now, where it came to a head, and I took a step and I stepped out, and it was very, very uncomfortable. It was financially horrific. It was emotionally overwhelming. But it's the best thing I've ever done. Because I wanted life. Because I want what God cares about. And I need to be willing to put everything that looks the right way but isn't aside to take and hold on to what is genuine. I I need to not be deceived. The thief comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. He comes to masquerade the true life that God has for us with an illusion. And because we live in such an affluent country, the illusion is very strong. The American dream to have and to pursue, and we'll give our lives to get and not realize what we are losing. What does it profit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And when he's talking about losing our soul, I don't think it's exclusive that means you're going to hell. I think that what it's talking about is you lose who you are meant to be. You lose your identity. You become a shadow living in your body, living in denial of what the true light is calling you to live. And you've gained everything, but you're not who you're supposed to be. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you are like me and... and You feel like I'm living the religious life, but I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I'm playing the game and I'm painting on the brave face, but I'm not really giving my life to anything. I'm not that, you know, I'm uncomfortable. Discomfort for me is when the air conditioner breaks. 
and I have to go a day without the air. Discomfort for me is like, well, let's open the doors and the windows because it's going to cost too much if we keep the air running. Discomfort for me is having to cook at home instead of go out and eat. See, discomfort for me is about me. When's the last time we gave of ourselves so much that it really cost us something? How to who? Maybe your time, maybe your finances, maybe your investing and caring. Because it costs something if you're going to give your life to Jesus. Chapter 20, Matthew, verse 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other on your left hand in your kingdom. They're the same mentality that Peter had. Lord, you're not going to the cross. We've got plans for you. Jesus, when you establish your kingdom, I want them to be the two most important people. Basically what she's saying. Verse 22, you do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers because they did it first. We want that position. How dare you try and get that position? We should be in that position. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The author of life. The one who gives life in abundance. And him who is life that is the light that reveals that life to all men. Came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus would wash their feet and said, If I am your Lord and doing this, I do it as an example to you. And so I want to challenge you with the challenge that God has challenged me with and is challenging me with. I have not arrived. I am in this journey. And the journey is to give my life to others. My life is here to be poured out so that someone else can be a recipient of. And I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing and it is indeed true that it's more blessed to give than receive. And I I can tell you from experience of having done it the other way around where, yeah, I'll give my time and I'll give this effort and I'll give this, I'll give everything but really giving my life the things that cost the most to me. I will do all that. But once I actually give once I actually do serve as a slave would, then I find the life that Jesus talks about that is full. Then I find a life that is rewarding. I'm not here to get as much as I can. I'm not here to get as comfortable as I can. I am here for the sake of the people around me. And if I lose that, Mentality, I do not look like my Lord. 
And if I want the life that is full, I need to be careful of that shadow life that is going to steal, to kill and destroy the real life. And it looks so much like it, but it's not. It's a a hypocritical life. It's a life that's an image of, but not the genuine. It's a life that plays the game, but isn't committed to it. And so Jesus left us with an example to to remember Him. And and it was in communion when he, He sat together with His closest disciples and He's about to go to the cross and He says, I want you to do this and remember Me. I want you to remember what I am doing. This is My body. It is broken for you. This is My blood. It is poured out for you. Remember this because... I am calling you to be my disciples. What I have done, you are to do. What, I have to give my life? Yeah. Now, it might not cost you physically to go to a cross. It might not require you to die. But you will have to die to something. You will have to die to self. If you are going to live for him, you have to die to me. I'm not here to tell you what that is for you. I just wanted to share what it was for me. But I know this. You will not be satisfied living a shadow of who you're supposed be and God will not stop speaking into your soul and saying I have so much more for you let that go and reach for more and what I want to do this morning is give us an opportunity to worship Because worship is giving to God what He is worth. And when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then it's going to cost you your life. As we worship, we recognize that He is worth our life, that God not only loves us perfectly, but He has our best interest in mind. And so Isaiah would say, why do you buy what isn't bread? Instead, we need to go to the one who is the bread of life, who actually gives himself so that we can have life. And let's allow this to be a a time of reflection, a time where maybe you are like me and you feel like it's time to change. I, I I need something more. Maybe even through this time of my talk, you, you feel this push in your soul. I felt like God was shoving me. I can remember it. I, I, would, I went home and it was just speaking to me the whole ride home. I laid down and it was just shouting in my head, you need to step into the water. The miracle will not happen until you step into the water. The change will not take place until you step into the water. The life you want will not happen until you step into the water and give your life. And it was the most difficult thing I've done and it was the best thing I've done. And so maybe now God is speaking Those words are similar words to you and to your soul saying you need to step in and do more. You need to lay your life down. I'll let him have that conversation with you. I just want us to hear him speaking. And so as Jason comes up, we're going to have a time where we're going to take communion As he's singing, we have the elements here. And again, we have the bread where you can take the bread, you can dip it into the grape juice. And then if you want, you can partake it there or you can go back to your seat. I want you to realize not only what Jesus did, 
but what He is calling us to. Because this is what worship is. It's giving our lives to Him. We also didn't take the offering at the beginning. We have the offering buckets here. It's just another way of giving of ourselves to the Lord. Now, this isn't meant to be pressure. If you don't want to give it here and you want to give it in the back or at the tablet or online, you still can. But we need to grasp hold of what it means to surrender. It includes our time. It includes our compassion. It includes our finances. It includes all of who we are. And let's let God have his way with all of us. Let's not live a shadow of what we are intended to be. Let's not be hypocrites playing a religious game, doing a religious routine and missing the relationship. Because Jesus is asking us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does that look like? What does that mean? May he speak that to our hearts. Father, I pray that as we partake of these elements, that we would remember the sacrifice that made way for us to enter into your presence. And Lord, it also opened the door to the relationship with you. Lord, as you have laid down your life for us, you are calling us to lay down our lives for one another. God, what does that mean to me? As we partake, may you speak to our souls. May you reveal yourself. May we see the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And may we follow you to be like you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As you feel led, come up and partake. We're going to sing as we do this. 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I want you to know that you are so loved. I want you to know that God loves you so much that he has given himself for you. I want you to know I love you. I care about you and I want to be a help in whatever way I can to you guys. You, you're, you're precious to me. When I, I stepped into that role where I said, God, I wanted to do more, this is what that looks like. And I don't want to come short of it. I, I don't want to do the routines of a pastor without being actually a person who cares. And if I'm going to imitate Jesus, I have to give myself to you, and I want to do that. And so I'm available if you have a need to pray, to talk. I'm not distant. You don't have to, to get permission. You can reach me anytime. I have people calling me to talk about their dogs. You can call me to talk about life. But you are loved. And God is calling you in His love. And may we as a community journey there together. Let's take a moment and pray. Jason, David, do you want to get the elements? I'll let you guys go and get that as well. Would you stand with me? And if God has spoken to you, it's probably just the beginning, and He's going to be doing a lot more speaking. And so let's pray that we will be responsive. God, our hearts are open to you. Our ears are 
are attentive to your voice and what we want is more of you. What what we desire is the life that is full. And we know that to have that life that we need to lose our life. That unless that seed falls to the ground and dies, nothing will grow. And if we are going to enter into a season of life, of growth, then there has to be that death. Lord, I pray you would not only speak to us about what we need to let go of, but what we need to step into. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who who maybe has not committed themselves fully to you, and that's the step. That's what they need to do. They They need to stop playing the game and actually enter into the relationship. Then I pray they would. And I pray that your life would greet them there. If there are those here, Lord, who need to step into an endeavor or or utilize their abilities and their gifts for you in some way, I, I pray that you would direct them as they take those steps, as they ask those questions, as they continue to seek you. May you continue to direct their lives, God. And I pray that every one of us here, Lord, would not settle for a pretend life, would not settle for a shadow instead of that of substance. May we not be deceived. May we not be robbed from this life. May it not be killed by a religious endeavor. Lord, might we enter into the fullness that you offer. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God who raised Jesus from the dead bring life to your mortal bodies. May you find in him all that you need for life and godliness. And may the peace of God that is beyond our ability to understand guard our hearts and our minds as we desire to walk with him closely. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Greet one another. Enjoy each other's time.